First Peter chapter 2. We've been studying the book of First Peter, going through it, and we want to continue there today. First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start, um, I think we're going to start, we left off last week, and we're going to start in verse 9. First Peter is really good. I'm excited about being in chapter 2. It's got a lot of good stuff there, a lot of really good stuff, exciting. That uh, really is a blessing. Uh, it says in verse 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First thing, my first question would be, well, like, who is he talking to? So when I always go back to the first chapter and I look at, well, who is he talking to? In chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers or the people, uh, God's people, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling. So he's talking to believers that are walking in holiness. He's saying that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that he's called us as kings and priests in him. So you're that priesthood. You're a chosen generation now. This generation we live in, it's a chosen generation by God. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness to praise the Lord that you've been called out of darkness into his light, out of sin into righteousness he's called us into, which in time past... We're not a people. We were the Gentiles. God came for his, for his people, which were the Jews, which were Israel at first. When, when the Lord told his disciples to go forth, he said, go forth and preach all over, but don't go to the Gentiles, just go to the Jews, to, the, to Israel. And he says, don't, don't do that. And, and now he, he has opened it up. Remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was one of the first Gentiles, was the first Gentile that actually we see salvation come to in, in the Bible. It was Acts chapter 10. Because Cornelius was a just man, he was living holy, but the Lord wanted to show him the way of the, the real way of salvation through Peter. Remember, Peter had the vision of the he was he was there and he, he was in Joppa and he had seen the four footed sheep, the four footed animals come down on a sheet. And God said, "Kill them and eat them unclean." And it, God was showing Peter that they called nothing unclean anymore because Gentiles were called unclean, and they were and the Jews were the people of God. Now it switched tables. Now in, in Romans chapter eleven. Now salvation has come to the Gentiles, and we are the people of God instead of Israel. Israel is not the people of God anymore because they, they refused him. They sacrificed the Savior, and only a remnant of them will be saved, the Bible says, in the end. But the people of God are those who praise and worship him. Not, it's neither Jew nor Gentile anymore, neither male nor female, neither black nor white, but we're all one in Christ. So now he's called everyone to come. He said, whosoever will, let him come and drink of this water freely, he said. So he's calling us all, and now we are called the people of God. To, to do what? To show forth his praises. You know, to praise the Lord. You know, a father, you know, I have, I have my children, Jill and I have children. And, and when you're raising children, you know, that sometimes you have to correct them because you want the best for them. You know, it's not, you're not correcting them to be mean to them or to hold them up from something. You're correcting them so that they can grow up and they can know how to behave themselves as adults 
and grow up and be prosperous and, and have a good life and so forth. And someone could think, well, wow, that's a mean parent. You know, he's correcting his children. But the Lord corrects those who he loves, the Bible says. Why? Not for his good, but for your good. And, and when, you, when a parent, when a child finally grows up and realizes what it's like to be like a parent and begins to understand like how mom and dad did me, then they come back and, they, and they'll praise their parents and say, I had great parents. They showed me the right way. They, they led me in the right path. Especially when they get to the kingdom of God, if they make it, they'll, they'll be, man, I'm glad I had some good parents that showed me and, let, and, and were examples and lived the life of Christianity before me. So we call, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, who is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now you are the light of the world. And he said, if a light be hid in a bushel, it's no good for anything, but, but our light shines forth. Matter of fact, when it says when we go to the new Jerusalem, when we go to heaven, that in, in Revelation chapter 22, it says that Jesus, it, there'll be no sun there. There's not going to be any sun or moon. It says that Jesus is going to be the light of that city. He's going to light it up. He's the light. So he's called us out of that darkness. We followed a way of darkness before. It says, which in verse, verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I want to stop there a minute, and I want to go back, and I want to look at a couple things. I want to go to the book of Hosea, chapter 2. Hosea is a book of, of, of sometimes of people uh, use it for different instances, but it's a, it's a powerful book because it shows that it, it's kind of a picture of Israel, how they, and Hosea is right next to a Daniel, right after Daniel, and um, it, it shows, depicts how the people of Israel had uh, left the Lord, and um, God shows it by telling Hosea to go and marry a woman of whoredoms. And to, to marry this woman of whoredoms was showing that Israel had played the whore with the Lord, and the Lord was showing that his mercy and his grace. And when you read De uh, Revelation, I mean Hosea chapter 2, you'll see... Um, I'm just going to start uh, right here. Um, it talks about it, the Lord's not having a mercy on, on a husband, and, and she had a husband before. Her husband was that of the world, and the mother played the harlot. It says in verse 5 of chapter 2, let's just start there just to start. For the mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them had done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. They give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. She was wanting to be comforted by someone of this world, by, by something else besides God. Therefore, behold, I will hedge, the Lord says, therefore, I will, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. See, and when we were in the world, we lived after the world, and we tried to find pleasure in the world, didn't we? Mm -hmm. We tried to find, fulfill our desires by going after the world to find our pleasure. But what happened, and what the Lord wants to do with everyone, is he'll hedge up your way. Listen to me now. He'll hedge up your way. He'll, he'll uh, the Romans chapter 2 says, it's the goodness of God to lead a man to repentance. And how does he lead a man to repentance? Before, sometimes when you were living in the world, a lot of things, man, sometimes they went good for you. 
And you know, you were making this money, you were doing this thing, you were going chasing women, you were going to do drugs, you were doing alcohol, you were doing all those things, and you were thinking you were having fun, you know. But then all of a sudden, things started going bad. And this is what's happening with this woman. It says that he hedges up her way and makes a wall. And, uh, verse 7, it says, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She's not going to find them anymore. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go re and return to my first husband. I'm going to go like a, like a first daughter. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn. They didn't recognize that it was God that was providing for them all that time, even they were, when they were running after the devil or running in darkness. It was God. The Bible says that God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. All good things are from above, even to the heathen, because he lets them go and lets them run away like the prodigal son. The prodigal son ran away, you remember, for a while. And he, at first he was having a... He thought he was having a blast. He was chasing harlots, and spent, he spent all his money until famine came in the land. Then he found himself broke and miserable and found himself sleeping with the pigs. And that's what, we, that's what a lot of us have done. She did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. She said, I was the one doing it, God says. Therefore will I return and, and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine and in the season thereof. It will recover my wool. And my flag's given to cover her nakedness. I'm going to make a pour. I'm going to strip everything away because it's me that gives you anything. It's not you that's getting it. All those things come from God. Somebody can say, well, I'm doing it. No, no, you're not. God will pull the rug out from under your feet. Amen. And now will I discover her, her nakedness in the sight of her lovers? going to expose her. He exposes you to everyone. You get caught. All of a sudden, you were able to, you didn't get caught for anything. All of a sudden, you get caught and get busted for everything. God's exposing your nakedness and you look like a fool. He said, man, what's going on? And none shall deliver her out of my hand. <laughs> God's got a hold of them. I will cause all her myrrh to seize, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. All of her good times are gone. And will cause them to stop. And I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, wherever she has said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and beasts of the field shall eat them. I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burn incense to them. And she, in other words, what you sow is what you reap. I'm going to give back what she did. And she decked herself with, with her earrings and jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. She did what she wanted to do, forgot the Lord, and did what they wanted to do. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will draw her and bring her into the wilderness. You know, the wilderness isn't a good place to be brought into. What is a wilderness? It's dry. It's thirsty. Nothing grows there. There's heat. There's cold. It's bad. Wilderness. He says, I'll drive, I'll allure as he come and, and draw in a, room, in, in a place that's tough. And speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence. And the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days of, when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me no more Lord or Master, but you shall call me. Call me no more, no more Bailey, but shall call me husband. That's what Ishai means. You'll call me husband, no more servant. And I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by thy name. 
I want you to skip down to verse 23. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, that's us, thou art my people, hallelujah. And they shall say, thou art my God. See, we weren't his people. He said, but he would have mercy. And he said, thou art my people, those that are following me now and walking in my ways and hearing my voice as the sheep, he says. Now, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. I want to bring you a little bit up to date on Joshua chapter 7 and what, what, where we at in history. This was the time that uh, Moses, in Joshua chapter 7, Moses had, had, had already died. And everybody knows who Moses, Moses it was. Moses was the one, of course, that God had told Israel, told Moses to go to Egypt. Because the children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh. And they had prayed and they had cried out to God because they had been working and building Pharaoh's treasure cities. They were working long, long hours. And God said, I heard the cry of my people. I want you to go, Moses, and I want you to help free my people out of Egypt. So, long story short, Moses took Aaron, and Aaron and Moses went, into, went, to, went to Egypt, went to Pharaoh, and told Pharaoh, says, listen... God wants you to let the people go to worship the Lord in the wilderness for three days. And Pharaoh said, that's not going to happen. So God began to bring plagues upon Egypt. Everybody remember the plagues? One plague after another. The waters were turned to blood. There were gnats that flew all over. There were uh, locusts that came in and ate all the crop. There were frogs that came in that were everywhere. There, there were so many frogs, Christian, that, they, that the Lord had cursed Pharaoh with because he wouldn't let the people of Israel go. They covered all the land. There was frogs everywhere. The frogs had come into the house. They'd come in their beds. They couldn't walk without squishing on frogs. I mean, they were everywhere. And Pharaoh just said, man, these frogs are getting so bad. I can't take this anymore. So he called Moses and he says, Moses, you've got to do something about these frogs. <laughs> and and uh, Moses says, yeah. He says, well, you've got to let the people of Israel go out and worship. He says, okay, they can go. They can go. Just get rid of these frogs. And Moses says to, and you heard the story before, Moses, Moses says to Pharaoh, okay, when do you want me to get rid of the frogs? He says, I want them gone in the morning. <laughs> I, was, I, I wondered that. I'm like, why did he tell him, Don, I want them gone right now? I want to sleep with the frogs one more night. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but, but anyway, so there was one plague after another, and then there was a the plague of, of, of blood. All the water, all the water turned to blood. Because he wouldn't do what God wanted to do. He wouldn't release the people to go and worship. He kept making, every time he said let them do it, he'd come up with another excuse, say, well, the children can't go. Well, the animals can't go. You know, he kept them from going. So finally, at the end, God said, God said okay, this is the last plague I'm going to give them. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every Egyptian. But I want the children of Israel to go, and I want them to, kill, to take a little lamb, and I want them to bring them into the house, uh, for 14 days, and I want him to live with the lamb and love the little lamb, and then at the end of those days, I want him to take the lamb, which he was showing as a sacrifice of himself. He was the chief lamb, and he said, I want you to take the lamb, and I want you to kill it, and to take the blood, and I want you to go around the doorpost of your, of, of your house, and I want you to paint the doorpost with the blood from that lamb, and he said, when the death angel passes over and sees the blood on your doorpost, then he'll pass your house up and just and go to the next one. Until, and killed all the firstborn of everything in the whole land that does not have the blood on it. 
because they didn't recognize that was going to signify Christ. So anyway, that happened. And then then in the middle of the night, there was crying all over. The firstborn children had died. And Pharaoh calls Moses and he says, get out of here. Take the people and go. Get out. So Moses took the people. They had already prepared to go because God had told them to get ready. And they began to go. Now, there was two ways to get to the land of Canaan. God had promised him. He says, I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan. I'm going to bring you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous land. You won't even have to raise the vineyards. The vineyards are already there. The houses are already there. You're going to move into this place, and it's a land that's just plenteous and fertile, and it's going to be great. It's like a land of grain. I'm going to take you there. But the way to get there is you've got to go through the wilderness in order to get to the land of Canaan. So they began to, to go in, in a direction, but God... Instead of God taking them one way, he took a more, a more difficult way, but the other way would have been a little bit more dangerous, but he took a more, a more difficult way. So as they were going, they were, they, were, uh, they were on their way and walking through the wilderness and, and going and singing songs and happy. And then um, all of a sudden, Pharaoh changes his mind. He decides that, what did I do? I let the, the Israel go. They were our servants and our bondsmen. They were building the cities. I'm going back and get them. I'm, I, they, they're not going to go. And he changed his mind. He goes back dummy, right? His whole land is destroyed because he wouldn't let him go. Now he's going back and get them again. Actually, in, in, the, in the story, during the first seven plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Hardened the last three, God needed to help him. He was so sick of the, the plagues that God had to God hard is hard also. It's kind of like draw, draw near to God, draw near to you, draw away from God, he'll draw away from you. You know, same kind of thing. That's good, Don. But anyway, they get, they get going, and God gives them a, um, a cloud by day that was over them to keep them cool from the sun. You know, the sun was shining on them. And he gave them fire by night so they could see where they were going, you see. And, and so what happened, all of the Egyptians were following after them on horseback and everything coming after them. And so the Lord darkened it. He moved the, the, the fire by night so that the uh, Egyptians couldn't see him one night. But the children of Israel had a problem. They had the Red Sea in front of, front of them. And the Red Sea is like 400 feet deep. They can't go through the Red Sea. So the children of Israel already started to complain like, oh, man, we're, we're cornered. We can't go anywhere. We can't go through the sea. Now the, the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh are after us. They're going to kill us. What are we going to do? And Moses, Moses said, the Lord's going to deliver us. And God told Moses, take your scepter, take your mantle, and I want you to go and, 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 uh, and touch it on the water brink, and the water's going to split. And what happened, he went and he did that, and the water, a sheet, the whole sheet of water on one side came up, and the sheet of water came up on the other side. And during the night, as they slept, before they went through, God sent an east wind to dry up the ground so that they would be able to walk because it would be just mud if they just tried to walk across it. I mean, it's all detail. So, so that morning they got up and the, the Israelites couldn't get to them and they go, started going across the Red Sea. By the time the Egyptians came to Pharaoh and them, they said, man, we're going after them. So they go into the sea. They think they're going to go right in. Then when Moses and all the children of Israel got on the other side, God said, okay, Moses, now put your mantle back down. Close the sea up and drown, and all of them drowned. Well, they went, they went, they crossed the Red Sea, and they were singing the songs of Moses, the Bible said. They were excited. The Bible said they believed God, but it didn't take long before they started having some trouble in the wilderness. Like it says, he lured, lured that woman into the wilderness. What's in, what was in the wilderness? First of all, they started getting thirsty. 
had not have anything. We were running out, of, running out of water to drink. We were thirsty. They started complaining to Moses. You know, at least we had water in Egypt. You know, you could have just left us there to die. We didn't have to go to the wilderness to die. And they were, they were sort of complaining and murmuring. And so God, so Moses came to a river, a river bank and the water was there. And they all started to rush to the water, but they found out the water was bitter. It was poisonous. And then God told Moses, that's okay. Cut down that tree over there and let that tree fall in it. It'll take the poison out of the water. And God did. And they drank the water. Then they'd go a little further and they were hungry and they started complaining. When you feel thirst and when you feel hunger or you feel trials in your life and you can feel that, what does God want you to do? He doesn't want you to complain. But God again upset at him because they kept complaining. God wanted you to feel some, some testings in your life and just be steady and just say, you know what? I know God's going to provide it when I need it. I might feel thirsty right now. I might have this big bill that came in that I don't know how I'm going to pay. I might have this going on or that going on, but I'm trusting the Lord. And as they were going through the wilderness, these things kept happening to them, and they kept murmuring and complaining all the way through the wilderness. So finally, they get all the way through the wilderness. I'm not going to go through the whole story because there's a lot of different things that happened there, but that's how, what they did. So they get right on the edge of the land of Canaan. They're there. It's time to go in. So you know the story. They said, let's pick one man from each tribe, from the 12 tribes of Israel, and let them go in and spy out the land, check the land out. So they sent them all in, which included Joshua and Caleb. And they went into the land and they spied it out. And they looked at the land and they saw the land was plenteous and fertile. And they, they came back, the 12, 12 came back with a good report. And some came back with an evil report. Man, they said, it's just like the Lord said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the grapevines. Look at the fruit. Look at the land. Look at all this. I mean, just like he said, it's, it's great. But then 10 of them said, well, it's not so great, really. There's giants in the land. He said, they make us look like grasshoppers. They're so huge. They're the children of Anak, and they're in that land. There's no way we can go in and defeat them. But you know, all through the wilderness, they, kept, they fought one one country after another, and they overcame every one of them. God brought them through. God showed them that, look, look what I did with Pharaoh. Look what I did with all your enemies. I had you win every battle. And now you're at the brink of it, and they back down. Joshua and Caleb says, listen, we can go in. We can get the land. It's ours. God promised it. He said it's ours. Let's go in and, and conquer the land. And they, and they believed what? How many? They believed the majority. I mean, you know, God's not always in majorities, right? He's <laughs> usually in minorities. So we can go in and get the land. So God said he didn't go. And God said, okay, your bones are going to rot in the wilderness now because you didn't go. You hardened, you hardened your hearts and you wouldn't go in. He said, but I'm going to raise up your children who don't know good or evil and are innocent. You're going to all die in the wilderness. But your children are going to go in and one day enter into this land. So as time had gone on, God had showed Moses the land. He brought Moses up to the mountain. And God had anointed one called Joshua. Christian Joshua. <laughs> Named him after him. God anointed Joshua. Uh, and, through, and Moses prayed for Joshua. And the Lord says, Moses, I'm not going to let you go into the land because Moses had done something that was displeasing to the Lord on the rock. When he, when he had, uh, was supposed well, to speak exactly. to the rock, he said he hit the rock. He, he, Moses took those people, and then he got to the promised land, and God didn't allow them to go in. What was 
Because because when uh, they they were thirsty, and God told Moses to speak to the rock, and water would come out. Instead, he took his gift and he hit the rock, and he did some other things. And God was displeased with him because he didn't do what God had told him to do. And God said, because of this Moses, even though Moses repented of it and asked God to forgive him for it, it was still a, a, a reaping of what he sowed. And God says, you're not you're not going to go in. Matter of fact, before it happened, Moses asked God. He said, can I can I go in and see the land? And, and God told Moses, he says, Moses, I've told you before, you're not going in. You know, you're not going to be alive because of what you've done. But he said, I'll do this. He says, I want you to go up to this mountain, and I want you to look, and look to the north, the south, east, and the west, and you'll see all the land, the land of Canaan. And he said, I want you to die. You're going to die on that mountain. And the Bible says God buried him there. Not man, God buried him right on that mountain. And then when that happened, then God, Joshua, it was time for Joshua and them to go. God said, God, God said to Joshua, now it's time to go. They're going into the land of Canaan, finally. Well, there was one other problem when they were going into the land of Canaan. There was, an, there was another river that the brinks of, the, of it were overflowing, and they couldn't cross it. It was the, it was the Jordan River, right? And they, uh, and they get there, and God tells, tells Joshua what to do on this one. He said, I want you to go. And he said, we're gonna, I'm going to do the same thing. And he said, once the, the, the priests, and they bring the ark there, he says, uh, they put their feet in the brink of the water. The water's going to split just like the Red Sea, and he split it again. So it wasn't just one time that God split it, he, got, he split it again. And they, he says, I want you to take, when you go down into, the, into, that, into that river, he said, I want you to take 12 stones, and I want you to take them out, that represents, each stone represents one tribe of Israel, and I want you to make, make an altar on the other side, to, to be a memorial there, which is there forever, basically, to show, always speak of, to the children's children of those that are in God, in God and tell them about how I split this. And these stones came from the bottom and the brinks flowed over into Jordan River. So they crossed the Jordan River, praise the Lord, and they're going into the land of Canaan. Good news. Okay, the first place they're going to go to, to go to come, is called Jericho. A place called Jericho, amen? And uh, God tells him, he says, now, Jericho was a walled-up city. It had walls all the way around the city. You couldn't get in these huge walls. Well, God, uh, God spoke to Joshua. He says, send some men in to spy, to spy out the land. And they went to Rahab the harlot. And they, um, they went in her house, and she, she hid them. And they looked at the land, and, they, and, and Rahab asked, made, made things right with God, came to the Lord, and asked if they, they would protect her. Yeah, Ben? What is the definition of a harlot? Whoredom. She was whored, in whoredom, you know, Okay. And, and so, uh, but she had come to repentance and, and, and the Lord had, had changed things there and they were going to look over her, but that's not the point I'm getting at. But anyway, God told him, he, said, he told the children of Israel, he says, listen, he says, when you go into Jericho, it's an unclean city. They've been living in harlotry and, and really evil. Don't take anything from that city. All the goods will be dedicated to the Lord. You know, all the silver, the gold, all those things. But don't touch anything because it's unclean. And if you touch it, you're going you're gonna to sin against the camp of Israel. And you're going you're gonna to mess up the whole, the whole camp of Israel. So they went in. And this is what God told them to do. He says, I want you to, for seven days, I want you to take and I want you to march around the walls of Jericho for seven days. Each day they got up and they'd march around the walls of Jericho. But on the seventh day, he said, I want you to shout and blow the horns and, and, uh, and, and shout to the Lord. And he says, when you do that, 
the walls of Jericho were going to fall. And uh, so they marched around for seven days. And the seventh day, so be it, the walls fell. They went in and they conquered the whole land of Jericho and became theirs. And uh, so they were like, man, they were excited, man. They saw, look what God did. The walls caved in. I mean, look what the Lord did here. So they, they, um, they, there's this other little city, you know, after this called Ai, this little city. And this little city was like, it wasn't real, real big, you know. And, and so Joshua said, listen, just send about 10,000 men. Don't send all the, all the army to fight against Ai because it's a small city. It'll be easy to overcome. Y'all go, why send everybody and go conquer the land? So they said, okay. And they, they went forth to conquer it, but they got their tails whipped. They lost the battle. And when they came back and they lost the battle, Joshua was really upset. He was so upset because he said, now the, all the, all, all the, uh, the Canaanites are going to think, you turned on us, God, and they're all going to form against us and kill us all. And he's, he's like making a petition to the Lord, and the Lord says, stand still and listen, Joshua. There's sin in the camp. He said, because of that sin amongst you, you will never overcome Ahaz. You need to find this, where this sin is coming from. So, AI, so Joshua begins to call tribe by tribe to inquire who did this evil thing. And that brings us to Joshua chapter 7. Let's go there. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore thou, thou liest thus upon thy face. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing. Those things were cursed in, in, um, in, in, in Jericho. And have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. So God's telling Joshua, this is the problem. He identified the problem, why, this, why they couldn't overcome. So Joshua begins to take each tribe and to examine them. Verse 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of Zorhites, and he brought the family of the Zorhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan the son of Cormai, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zara, of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what you've done, and don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them, I wanted them, and took them, and behold, they are, in, they are hid in the earth, in the, in the ground, in the mist, in the middle of my tent, and the silver is under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver was under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Wow, he got busted. 
And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his asses, his sheep, his tent, all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. You remember the valley of Achor what we talked about a little while ago in Hosea? Remember the valley of Achor? The valley of Achor, remember, was where in, in, in Hosea chapter 2, remember the, he, said, he said, I lured her into the wilderness. And the valley of Achor was the door of hope. Remember that? You got your finger in, in Hosea? You still got your finger there? Go back to Hosea chapter 2. The woman here he's speaking of is, is the individual that God calls to, to repentance. The repentance is when he, that person comes to where everything in their life is no longer brings them happiness and God lures them into the wilderness and speaks comfortably to them to come to him. And, but then, and then they go through repentance. And here is the repentance he's talking about. Verse 15. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days that she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me husband. Eshai means husband. And shall call me no more Balai, Lord, as, a, as a being a, a, a servant, or being a, a bondsman. So I'll call you husband. I'll marry you there. But in order to be the husband of the Lord, you have to go to the Valley of Achor first. That's the door of hope. What happened here in the Valley of Achor back in Joshua chapter 7? Joshua says in verse 25, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones of that day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the Lord, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. The Valley of Death. That's where Achan, see, whenever you sin against God, they see sin against its camp. It didn't, his sin didn't only affect him. It affected everybody in his family. You see, because it, when you sin, you're an example to others around you. And you become a stumbling block to others that see your life. And that's what the picture of it is what he's showing. But they're not forced to pay your consequences. Why does that happen? So anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But that's, that's part of God. That's, that's, God, that's God's thing. Yeah. But, but the, Lord knows, the Lord knows their hearts. The Lord knows. I know you feel like God's unjust, but he's really not. He's not unjust. It's not justice. It's murder. No. You can't just kill a bunch of innocent people because someone they know messed up. It pull, it pulls it pulls everybody down. It, that's the picture of it, is what but it's showing. But in real life, we're not supposed to suffer the consequences of our fathers. That's what we preach every other Sunday. So it shouldn't. Someone else should not have it. They, they all had knowledge of it. They all had knowledge of it. And they all and they all were part of, of him. They were all part of him. So but anyway, the po- the point of the story is is that uh, like the scripture says in Luke 9 23, if any man will come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For he must truly lose his life in order to have life. Without death of self, there's no life. So everyone must go through the valley of Achor in order to be able to have life. He lured them there. Then once you go through that death where you have ceased from sin, then you call him no longer as a slave master. That's how people that are not in Christ, they look at Christ, they look at God as a slave master. God showed himself through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God was the express image, that Jesus was the express image of the Father. The things that, that, that Jesus did was the Father working through him. He said in John chapter 5, the things that I do is not my own. The words that I speak, they're not my own. They're the Father's words through me. Through me. And he said that, and what did he do? He showed love. He gave himself for us. He gave up his only begotten son. He gave up himself. Christ laid down his own life for us. He loved us so greatly. Some people say, well, I don't understand everything. Well, who does? The Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part until that which is perfect has come. But one day you will. We're called to trust the Lord. We've seen what Jesus did. We look at his life, what he gave for us as a father, as as our father the greatness of God. You may not understand everything. You may not under, I may not be able to explain everything perfectly, but I can assure you, I know the God in whom I serve. I know that he expressed himself through Jesus Christ, which was the love that he gave us to show us and to guide us. As the father does his own son, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And Christ laid down his life for us. But the only way the Lord says for us to have life is to lose your life. It's to go through that valley of Achor. Here in, Jan- in Hosea chapter 2, anybody want to add anything? That's there. Anybody want to share anything so far? Okay. Let's go back to um, 1 Peter chapter 2. Huh? 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, look what it says. You are a chosen generation. Who is he talking to? People that have gone through the valley of Achor. People who have lost themselves in Christ. You are a chosen generation. You are royal priesthood. You kings and priests in Christ. A holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of that darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but now you're the people of God, as it said in Hosea 2 which had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. God didn't know, owe us anything. He didn't owe us anything. We owed him a debt we couldn't pay. We messed up. We fell short. We went the wrong way. We made the wrong choices. Christ, God didn't make the wrong choice. He made the right choice. But some people will say, well, God is unjust in the way that he corrects us or the way that he does these things and so forth. How could that be? As a father with our children, we correct them. There, there's, there's, there's consequences for sin. If there's no consequences, then there's no correction. So there is correction. There's, there's, there is chastening when somebody is not walking right. But he says, that which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now obtained mercy. So what does he say after that? Dearly beloved, I beseech you. I'm, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, 
as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, let's stop right there for a minute. We talked about this some last night, Don. We're, we're strangers and pilgrims. This is not our home. We're, we are, this is, we're not citizens here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 11, they said, we're strangers and pilgrims. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We're not of, the ki- of this kingdom of the world. We're of the kingdom of God. We're a peculiar people. We're not like everybody else. We're not to be like everybody else. Why? We're not looking for how much money we can make. We're not looking for how much fame we can have. We did in the past. But what are we looking for? We're looking for that city. We got our heart and our focus on the city that's to come. And the world's going to think you're strange. The world's not going to understand you nor your God. But you know you have a kingdom. In, in Hebrews 11, just turn it. Hold your place here. Go to Hebrews 11. Look at these people. Look at verse uh, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was, was called to go out of the place which he had, should afterward receive an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing where he was going, but he just obeyed God. He just trusted God that much. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in, t- in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He lived in tents. He didn't settle anywhere. He just obeyed God and just went wherever he was, wherever God had him to go. He was following the Lord. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And a stranger's voice they will not follow. Through faith also Sarah herself conceived strength and conceived seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. She didn't have periods anymore. She'd been through menopause or whatever. She was past the time of having a child, but she had that child. Why? Because she judged him faithful who promised her that child. Look, we're promised eternal life. Someone can say, oh, that's foolishness. Oh, you can't, you look at that, it's, it's impossible. Well, it was impossible for Sarah to have a child at 95 years old or whatever it was. But she didn't look at the circumstances. She looked at the promise of what God had made. You need to get your focus on what you you see. The Bible says if if you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, not those things that are on earth. Set your affections on things above, not things of the earth. So she 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 judged him faithful. That promised that she would have that child. And she had it, regardless of what the circumstance looked at. Let's go further. It says, therefore, sprang there even of one and, and, and him as good as dead, so, so many as the stars of the sky, multitude, and as the sand, which is the seashore, innumerable. These all died in faith, but ha- not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed them, and they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what we're to be. Strangers and pilgrims. This is not our homeland. This is not heaven. Quit living like that. We're living for going to be with the Lord. For this, they say such things, declare plainly they seek a a country. 
And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, they might have had opportunity to return back to it. But now they desire a Betty, a better country. That is a heavenly whereof God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Remember what Jesus said in John 14? He said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, I'm, he, go, he, said I'm, I'm, he was going to death. He said, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you so. But behold, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. He said, look, I'm taking you with me. You're going to resurrect with me. The same, it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. He will quicken your mortal body. You will go and be with the Lord, he said. But they were seeking. They were strangers and, and pilgrims seeking for them because they had opportunity to go back if they wanted to. Let's go a little further. Look at these. Verse 32. Let's go down there. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Japhite, of David, also of Samuel and prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Remember Daniel when he was in the lions at the end? God stopped them from eating him up and the people who turned him in, they got put down into those same lines, ate them all up. Quenched the, vi the, the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of, of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. <laughs> their husbands had died. God raised them up to life again. And others were tortured because of their faith. Why? Because they were looking for a city that wasn't here. They knew they had the kingdom of God. They knew they, were going, they had heaven waiting them. They didn't care about what this world had to offer. Not, they wouldn't even accept deliverance. Even though they could be delivered from being tortured, they wouldn't accept it, it says, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Because why? Because they would be martyrs. And you know who, who the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, it says the first, he says, those that were martyrs for Christ he said, blessed are they, for they will shall obtain the first resurrection. They didn't want to accept deliverance. If they had cared about this world, how much money they could make, how much happiness they could have by this world, they would have never let themselves be tortured. They could have moved on and got out of that. But they didn't because they saw the inheritance that they were going to get. And it was much worth it compared to what's here on this earth. When, when, the Bible says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, of, of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He said, don't love that. These, it says, that they might have and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, gave more of, of bonds and imprisonments. They were put in jail. They, were, they did nothing. They were stoned. They were cut in half. Don, some people say it wasn't cut this way, they were cut this way. <laughs> no. They were cut in half. How much faith do you think these guys had? You think they had any doubt about whether they were going to go to heaven? You think they wanted anything of this world? You think they had anything, any doubt about God being just? You think they had any of that? That they were willing to get cut in half or be stoned to death? You think they had any doubt of God? Do you think they understood everything? No. But they knew the God they served. They knew that he loved them, that he gave his life, 
that he went through and suffered vehemently for us, and they were willing to lose their lives for what they believed. And they obtained a better resurrection with Christ. They will be in a hallmark of fame with the Lord in heaven. How blessed we would be if we would be mourned for the Lord Jesus Christ. Love to obtain that. God give us strength to do that. So they were stoned, they were sawn in half, were tempted, were slain with the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins. They didn't wear that uh, real nice first coats and nice clothes. They wore sheepskins. Probably didn't smell too good. Those sheepskins smelled like dirty sheep. Goatskins. They wore those too. Being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of whom the world was not worthy of these people. Wow. That's when you're really looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. Now, go back to Second to First Peter chapter 2. Verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, here you are. This is strangers and pilgrims, just like we read in Hebrews 11. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. What are fleshly lusts that war against the soul? What is he talking about? He said abstain from it. What could war against your soul? Yeah. Give me some examples. Desire for money. If you have a great desire, the Bible says he who loves money will fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts that drown men in perdition. First Timothy chapter 6. Don? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Give me some examples of those. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll tell you one. Um, somebody looking at pornography. It's flesh and lust, and it's worn against the soul. It's destroyed him. Covetous, wanting what somebody else has. Warring against his soul, he's got to have that. Alcoholism, drug addiction, wanting that drug. Warring against his soul. Why? How does he war against his soul? He says to abstain from those, from, abstain from that. What does he say? He says, um, abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain from fleshly desire. How could I not be abstaining, abstaining from it if I go around people that are like that? If I go hang out in nightclubs and stuff where people are living immoral lives that are not Christian, worldly people, what is that doing to me? It's warring against my soul. It wants me to, it's going to get me to start thinking different. It's going to get me to start desiring that kind of trash. What does the Bible say? Run from youthful lust. Get away from it. Run from it. Why? Because it's destroying your soul to hell. It's going to take you to hell. Why do you want to play with that? Gluttonous. Gluttonous, absolutely. Any, any, fleshly, any fleshly desire, something to satisfy this thing here, to cater to that, you know, whatever it might be, then he's, what is he doing? The Bible says, abstain from that. Get away from that. Get away from those desires. Live holy and righteous. Why? Because they, they destroy your soul. They warn against you. 
Like the, Lord, the Lord didn't say just for his sake, look, be holy as I'm holy. Purify yourself as his pure. He saved it for your sake and for my sake so that you can live happy, peaceful, wonderful lives. You're miserable in your sin, and yet you're still trying to go back and satisfy this thing, and you keep getting miserable. You come up miserable. Always depressed, always miserable. Oh, you have a little ecstasies every now and then to feel good, but then it brings you back down. You know why? Because there's no peace. There's no joy. You got these things that you're doing that's warring against your soul and bringing you, and bringing you down to hell. You might think, well, I'm fooling everybody. I'm, oh, I'm fooling myself. Because you, you don't want to give in to what the Lord says. Here's another good one. Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. That goes with that sort of thing. Some warnings in the scriptures. Here you go, verse 11 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. Wes, you got anything to add yet? <laughs> Are they coming on? I'm not hearing them. Are they able to come on the video? Okay. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. There he is. But rather reprove them. Have no fellowship with the, with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now what, what does that mean, Wes? You want to explain that for us? He's not working, Sedger. Not working. We're good. Okay. So is Okay. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. What does that mean, Don? Fellowship means you're hanging out, right? You're associating with them. You're hanging out with them. Fellowshipping with them means you're hanging out. You, you, it's pretty much anything that uh, it's exalted self higher than God. Unfruitful works of darkness. Oh, unfruitful work of darkness would be something that wouldn't bring forth good fruit, and it's darkness, it's sin. It leads to sin. He said, get away from that. Don't have any fellowship, but rather expose them. Expose that sort of thing. Get away from it. Hmm. Look at verse 12. I want to hear somebody come on there. Um, let's see, who else Who else you have on, on, on Skype? Uh, Jonathan Moore. Uh, who else? Chris Murphy. Chris, are you there? Chris, can you? Okay, Wes, you try to say, try to Talk to us a minute, Wes. Yes. Yeah, but it's it's just uh, it's blunt voice. Yeah, yeah, we hear you. Your voice is kind of not. Yeah. Yes, you kind of muffled with your voice, but we can hear you. Yes, go ahead. Shield, you know, of something that's just this invisible shield 
that's supposed to protect you. It's the word of God is supposed to lead you and guide you. And like when Jesus said, pray in this manner, he said, lead me not into temptation. So that's, if, if you're following, you're not going to go headlong into temptation. You're going to follow the path that he leads you. And wisdom will always guide you in truth and righteousness and keep you from, you know, falling prey to the enemy's devices. Amen. So fellowship, if he's saying have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, let's take the opposite side of that. So what you really should be having that fellowship with is those that walk in the fruitful, fruitful righteousness, good fruits. So your fellowship should be with those that, that are, are walking in the truth. That, uh, in other words, uh, the only reason you ever have to be around the world is, is to share your life, to share, your, share the gospel with. But, but, to, uh, but the Lord would have us to fellowship with b- believers. Uh, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, uh, be ye not unequally, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Right, Larry? Yep. So we don't, he said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? It's, it doesn't, it's not supposed to say, what, does a, what fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever? Listen, when you do that, you're destroying your soul. You're putting, you're putting yourself in a bad place. You're setting yourself up for a fall. God is saying this for your own good. Be around believers. Be, be in the word of God. Be, be walking in holiness. Not for his good only, it's for your good. He wants you to have eternal life. Hell was not built for you and I. The Bible says it was made for the devil and his angels. But, but man hath enlarged hell because he chooses to go that direction. Sometimes I think, and I was thinking this morning, I was thinking, you know what, everybody ought to just close their eyes and imagine in their mind, and just close your eyes and think, okay. I've died, I'm before God. God and me. Because that's what it's going to be. You can, you know, it's not just an imagination because it will happen. Everyone in this room will die. It's appointed unto every man to die and then to go to judgment. And he says, when that happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for those things that we've done in our body, whether good or bad. And we're going to stand before God, and there's going to be God, and there's going to be me, there's going to be you, individually. How are you going to stand? Is he going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You kept my commandment. You walked in my obedience. You, you, you had repented of all these things. You turned from them. Come in. Or will there be something in your life that you said, you know what? You really weren't that important to me. You know, other things were more important. Having fun. I just ignored your word or the word that you you did say. I made excuses in my mind that you weren't just and that you weren't right. And therefore, I didn't follow you because you weren't a good God. And then he'll show you everything, the truth about it, and he'll show you what the truth is. Hmm. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12.
having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. 